0: morning, Bethel, and also I extend a welcome to any of you who are visiting with us this morning. We are in the uh, middle of a series called Gospel Culture, and so uh, there's an outline in the bulletin if you want to follow along. It looks like maybe we've got the uh, slides working, so um, they'll be up there as well, and our text is 1 John 4. 7 to 12, which is the first part of the text that Tyler just read a few minutes ago. So if you want to open your Bibles to that spot, um, you'll be ready when we get there. All right, so little audience participation here, okay? Um, you can do this in your mind. You don't have to verbalize this, but you can if you want to. Um, finish the sentence. You ready? Christians are so. Okay, nobody finishes. That's okay. I'm sure there was stuff going in your minds. That's that's okay. Christians are so. What? We, how would you end that sentence? Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. So, whatever did come to your mind. Um, was there any? Russell, was there any snarkiness in the answers that came to your mind? I um, actually didn't intend that to direct that one person, but um, was there... You know what snarkiness is? Okay, so I wrote down a definition in case that would be an unfamiliar term. Sharply critical, cutting, snide, cranky. Was there any of that in your mind as you thought about how to finish that sentence? Now, think about some of your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors... And if you pose that sentence to them, which maybe you should do that this week, wouldn't that be a great conversation starter? Hey, how would you finish this sentence? Christians are so... Well, that would be great, because you know what? If they've had a bad experience, you could say, you know what, you're right. But that doesn't make the truth of God any untrue. You know, there's bad lawyers. <laughs> Does anybody know that? Um, that doesn't mean you should throw out law. There's crooked cops, we don't throw out law and order. Okay, so how would some of your coworkers, neighbors, family members finish that sentence? Next question How responsible do you feel for the answer to that question? Among the rising generations in this church, the children and youth students and in our community at large honestly how responsible do you feel for how that question gets answered in Newcastle County and beyond well i can certainly tell you and i think you'll see it here in our text that god cares intensely about the answer to that question both from those within the church, as well as those outside the church. So we all need to see how anyone, at least for us in here this morning, we need to see how anyone who claims to be a Christian must care intensely about how that question is answered. Love is not optional for Christians. It is essential. It is ultimately important. And again, our text makes that crystal clear here in 1 John 4. So so Bethel, and any of you that are visiting with us, love is not optional for the Christian. It's vital. It must mark us if we're going to be a gospel culture, if the truth of the gospel is going to shape our community dynamics, the kind of atmosphere that is created by our relationships in our community. So our We've talked about this in previous weeks. This is the third week of our series, Gospel Culture. We've talked about how our creed, our doctrine, should shape our culture, our dispositions, our attitudes, our lives, the way that we love each other, the way that we interact with each other. Francis Schaeffer said it well, summarized it well. I quoted this once already, but it bears repeating. One cannot explain the explosive dynamite of the early church apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously, orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy, or you could say orthopraxy, of community in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see By the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and the reality of its community. Our churches have so often been only preaching points with very little emphasis on community, but the exhibition of the love of God in practice, the exhibition of the love of God in practice is beautiful and must be there. So if you ever stop to think about it ask, This question, where on earth do you go to see the love of Jesus? If it's not present here, if it's not present in the church, if it's not present among God's people, people say that they follow Jesus and trust him, where else are you going to find it? So let's dive in here to our passage in 1 John 4, and let's ask And I don't mean just me up here praying, but let's all ask the Lord to shape us into the kind of Christians, the kind of community that he wants us to be, that he intends us to be through this text. Okay, so let's just pause briefly here and then we'll dive in. Please pray with me um, that this would be on all of our hearts, that this would be our desire. Lord, please do Prepare us and help us to welcome your word this morning. We we need it. We need the grace. We also need the exhortation and the challenge. So help us to receive both of them, both the encouraging, wonderful truths as well as the challenging, sobering truths. So help us not to be prideful and to stiff-arm anything that you have to say to us this morning. Help us to welcome it. And Lord, help me to speak with your voice and not um, import anything that's not true, that's not in line with what you say here. Help me to echo what you've said in a clear, faithful way. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray, amen. Okay, so first point, God so loved us. Um, Let's look at verses seven through 10. 1 John 4, 7-10. John writes to these folks that he loves. Obviously, he loves them. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So Beth and I went to Maui, Hawaii for our honeymoon um, almost 20 years ago. And there's a place, you take this crazy windy road, um, it takes hours to get there, and it's only like 70 miles away or something like that. Because um, you can, can only go like 20, 30 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour. It's, it's that curvy. You have to take Dramamine to get there, you know? But it's worth it for the breathtaking scenery. Well, the reason you go is to get, one of the reasons you go is to get to the, to the seven pools. Okay? They're these seven pools that cascade, and they ultimately empty down into the, Pacific Ocean. Well, you can picture this passage, this might be helpful, picture this passage as a series of cascading pools, okay? So how's that work here? Well, the spring, the source, the fountain, is found in verse 8, okay? So look, look at verse 8. Um, so we'll kind of pull the, ver- the, the passage apart, and then we'll put it back together, Okay. So verse 8, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. I'm sorry, I just missed verse 8. There we go. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's the fountain. God is love. He didn't create love. He is love. He is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is inherently relational. He didn't create relationship. He is relationship. He didn't create love when He created the world. He is love. He didn't create relational unity and harmony, diversity and unity. He didn't create that. He is that. Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect loving society for all eternity. He is that. He didn't create intimacy and friendship. He is those things, and He Not only is those things, He is those things (laughs) to the infinite degree. This explosive, overflowing, uncontainable fullness. And so, He is love and He created, not because He was lonely or bored. He didn't create us because He needed someone to talk to. He didn't need us in the least. He created in order to share His fullness So that fountain just overflows and it runs over like a waterfall. He wants to share his fullness of love with his creatures made in his image. So he's the source of all true love in the universe. Do you see it there? Love is from God, verse 7. It's like the waterfall leading down into the first pool. Love is from God. God is love, so love is from God. So that's wonderful, but... There's a big, big problem. If you know the storyline of the Bible, in the story of the world, story of our lives, we have all exchanged this glorious, overflowing fountain of love for cheap substitutes. We've looked for love in all the wrong places. Listen to Jeremiah two eleven to thirteen. My people have changed their glory. Exchanged. This is a trade, trade off, a ridiculously poor trade off. We've all done this. My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit, doesn't benefit them, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We want to be satisfied. We want to have joy. We want to be happy. We want to know where real life is. And we stiff-arm God, and we try to go everywhere to find it. And it never satisfies our spiritual thirst. So the good news is that God is love. And even though we've all forsaken him and tried to satisfy our thirst elsewhere, he can love us unlovely rebels. So we do not deserve to be drinking in this fountain. I mean, this is like ocean depths meets shoreline shallows. This is raging river strength meets bubbling brook quietness this is hot springs warmth meets mountain spring coolness this is pristine lake beauty meets thunderstorm power this is growth giving shower meets waterfall thunder fountain of love that's the kind of fountain he is and we've said uh no thanks i'll i'll try to slake my thirst off the rusty bottom of this broken cistern that's insanity sin is insane and he could have just said fine In fact, not just fine, we deserve to be drowned in the flood of his righteous wrath. But, as Russell mentioned, I think it was Russell, his love is greater than our sin. There's more mercy and love in Christ than there is sin in us. So love is from God, verse 7. It created this ultimate pool of love that would then overflow and pour down on our lives like a waterfall. So God manifested his love. It's not just an abstract concept It took on flesh and blood and bone. Look at verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. He demonstrated it. He wanted us to see it. He wanted us to experience it. He wanted us to have it. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live. We were like cut flowers. We had... Stiff-armed God, we're cut off from Him, and so our life source, we're cut off. We're dying. We're dead in our sins. And Jesus died in our place so that we might live through Him. So in this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What's propitiation mean? Huge word. We don't use that in our common conversations. Well, in any kind of cultic context where you're talking about worshiping idols or whatever if you've got a god you want to make sure that that god's happy with you so you'll you'll sacrifice to that god right so there's some people that dance you know a rain dance in order to stay on the good side of the the gods of fertility and rain and crops and whatnot so you've got to make the the god propitious you got to appease his wrath Because, you know, gods can be kind of moody and cranky. Sometimes they wake up on the wrong side of the universe, and they're, you know, like Zeus, and it's just kind of... No, God's not like that. The real God is not like that. We don't propitiate his wrath. He propitiated his own wrath. He sent his son to absorb the just judgment that we deserve. That's how loving he is. He loved us so much that he sent his son to deal with what got between us and him. It's awesome. That's love. Not that we love God. Are you kidding me? If you want to talk about love, it's God toward us, not us toward God. So it's that we might live. It's John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Just like verse 9, so that we might live through him. That is love. And our sins totally dealt with. If we trust in Jesus, if we are united to him by faith, then our sins are totally dealt with on the cross. It is finished. There's nothing left but love. Jesus absorbed all the wrath. That's love. So, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And when we know his love, and I don't just mean kind of information just assent, checking boxes when we experientially know his love it changes us like remember what Jesus said to that woman that had a real shady reputation and she came and wiped his feet with her hair anointed his feet with her tears he said to those in the room who were kind of scandalized by the whole thing he said those who have been forgiven much love much She got it. She knew how much she needed to be forgiven. And to be forgiven was so precious. And she was filled with much love as a result. So that pool of grace and love that's filled, so God is love. He manifests that love. This pool is filled with the blood of Jesus. Manifest for us. And that love pours into our lives the second pool And fills us up. Look at verse 7. When that happens, then we can obey verse 7. Beloved, beloved, see that? We've been loved. (laughs) We've received that love pouring into our lives. Let us love one another. Because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. So we've been born of God. We know God. This is who we are because this is whose we are. If we belong to the one who is love, then of course we should love because we're new people. We've been born of God. We belong to him. He gave us new birth. He gave us new life so that we would love one another just like he's loved us. That's what we're made for. So if love is from God and God is love, then everyone who loves is a child of God and everyone who does not love is not a child of God. John is actually writing this book to children of God, exhorting them to do what they've been born to do, born, spiritual birth. In fact, he he wants to assure them of who they are. He wants them to be confident that they're they're the real thing. That's why he's writing this letter. So he talks about what, what it looks like to be the real thing. So look at Chapter 5, verse 13, you'll see very clearly that he states why he wrote this letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to be assured that you're the real thing. I want you to be confident. So I'm going to talk to you about what it looks like. And if you have that new heart, you're going to hear those things and say, yes, that's what I want. So the fact that God is love is the fountain. It overflowed for sinners like us when he sent his son to die that we might live. Dealt fully finally with our sins. And when that gospel love pours into your life, into my life, love for one another flows out. We love because he first loved us. So if God so loved us, second point, verse 11, we ought to, To love one another. So if you know this love, are you showing this love? I want us to think about that word ought for a second here in verse 11. So some of you are going to remember this. I know I can see a few people that were at this conference. There was a marriage conference up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania back in March of 2013. And Paul Tripp was the speaker, okay? So I remember one of the things that he said there. It stuck with me how he unpacked the ought in this verse at one point. He talked about how the ought in verse 11 is not just the ought of obligation. That's typically what we think of when we think of ought, right? Well, I, I must do this. It is, I'm obligated to do this. And that's, that's true. But he said, This text also speaks to the ought of design. And here's how he unpacked it. Honey ought to be sweet. Fish ought to be in water. No one walks their fish on a leash. Dogs ought to live primarily on the land. I know they can swim, but you wouldn't put your dog in an aquarium. Then he said, There's something weird and wrong about humans not loving. So, what if I came to you and I said, Hey, I'd like to give you some honey? And you're like, Great, I love honey. And then you tasted it, and it wasn't sweet. Or, what if I tried to sell you some salt? And it wasn't salty. Or what if I offered you water that dehydrated you? It just ought not to be that way. So we could go on and on with examples, but I think the point is clear. A Christian who is not living, I'm sorry, a Christian who is not loving is a contradiction in terms. So do you see the connection? Like I want you to see this design point is not just, oh, that's pretty creative. Paul, trip, good, good thought. It's in this text. It's, it, 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 it's kind of, you can see it starting in verses seven and eight and then punched home in verse 11. Look back at verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Do you see? It's, inherent to your nature. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This is normal. This is, this is how it ought to be for Christians, people who have been born of God, spiritual rebirth, the God who is love. And you know what? Don't miss that little word so in verse 11. If God so loved us, it's the same ver- same word in John three sixteen. God so loved the world. If God so loved, we ought to love. It's not supposed to be. I mean, what's the nature of God's love? It's not moderate. It's not like the minimum to get by. It's not fake. Which is why you have texts like this. Romans twelve nine. Let love be genuine. Twelve ten. Love one another with brotherly affection. 1 Peter 1.22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Or the text we looked at last week, John 3.34, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus said after he washed the disciples' feet, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So there's a whole lot of love in this world. Love veneer, thinly disguised as lust or infatuation. Love with strings attached. Love that's conditioned on the performance or the loveliness of the other. Love that's selfish, that has ulterior motives. Love that quits when the going gets rough. People so quickly hit their limit, they pull back, they back out. Christians ought to be different. They ought to be counter-cultural. They ought to love as they have been loved. Totally different kind of love. As Jesus loved us. And the only way that we can do that is because it's flowing into our lives. It's not something we just drum up. If this sounds like overwhelming, I can't do that. Of course you (laughs) can't. That's a good place to start. Then you look up and say... I need to drink this in more. So we learn from God through Christ what love is. It's this willing, sacrificial, seeking the joy and well-being of another not based on their on what they deserve and at great personal cost. So God so loved us. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. All right? So last point, knowing and showing. So if we know this love, if we've experienced it, we ought to show this love. If you want to show this love, you can flip it around. If you want to show this love, we need to know this love, right? So this whole series is about how important it is to make the love and the grace of the gospel visible. And verse 12 actually ends this section by making that point in a way that might not be immediately obvious. So take a look at this and, and see if you can see it. 1 John four twelve, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What, is, what does that mean? His love is perfected in us. Well, look at the beginning of that same verse again. No one has ever seen God. Is that Ring a bell with any of you? That's not the first time he uses that phrase, John. Flip back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John 1, 18. It's the prologue, the the kind of beginning of the Gospel according to John. And there's so much in here, so much about who Jesus is. He's the Word made flesh, God in the flesh. And then in verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God. Same exact phrase. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So, yeah, I know there were encounters with God in the Old Testament, visions of God, Isaiah 6, other places, but no one's ever fully seen God. I mean, even Moses had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock and could only view kind of the after effects of God passing by. Right? Exodus 34. No one has ever fully seen God, but the Word made flesh, the only Son of God, Jesus Christ, He has made Him known. Now, come back to 1 John 4.12. No one has ever seen God. Same phrase. So whereas in John 1, if you want to see Him, you look at Jesus, now, if you want to see God, you look at His people. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So now what do you think his love is perfected in us means? I think we can think of it almost like the completion of a cycle or a circle. God is love. He manifests his love massively. God so loved us. Okay, this overflowing fountain. He sent his son to deal fully and finally with our sins. Nothing can separate us from his love. He continues to love us. We receive His love, and now how can you really have received God's massive love without giving His love? If the circle is never completed, do you really know God? I mean, anyone who does not know, does not love, does not know God. Verse 8, right? How can you really have received God's love without giving God's love? If the cycle stops with you, have you really received God's love? Are you really a new person? new creation in Christ. If you're not a loving person, listen, if you're not a loving person, it's not a personality issue. Loving is going to look differently with different people, okay? So we can't force everybody into the same mold, but we certainly can't excuse lovelessness and pass it off on personality. If it is a, are you really a child of of the God who is love issue? That's what it is. We're not made to be cul-de-sacs. We're made to be conduits of God's love. It's intended to pour into our lives, not just fill up into this stagnant reservoir. It's supposed to flow through us then into the lives of others. So when we love one another, the circle is completed, and the love we know becomes the love we show. So no one's ever seen God, but they can see the church the people of God, and they're supposed to see the love of God visibly in the love of the people of God. So how's the world going to see the love of God if we don't embody it? If the world's going to see the love of God, it's going to be through us. So you and I, we ought to love one another. (laughs) And if you're asking how, oh, this is a really tall order. I can't love like this. Of course you can't, like I said. But again, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. What we need to do is to get under the waterfall every day so that we get filled up and we receive His love. We experience it freshly each day so that we can give it. This is why Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 I pray that you'd be strengthened with power by His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ would dwell in your heart. He's talking to Christians so that you'd be rooted and grounded in love and be able to comprehend how wide and long and high and deep and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You need to experience it, Ephesians. You need it more and more and more. And so do we. Then we will love because he first loved us. It's the the horse in the cart. You could view it that way. We don't love in order to be loved by God. We love because we have been loved by God. So we need to know it if we're going to show it. We need to receive it if we're going to be able to give it. And so, beloved, how high on your priority list is being a loving person, becoming a more loving person in a Christ-like way? How important to you is, is the answer to the question, Christians are so, and will you take responsibility with me? for the answer to that question among the children of our church and our community at large. So, beloved, let us seek to know the love of God so that we can show the love of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would please answer that Ephesians 3 prayer, that we would know your love that surpasses knowledge, that it would not just be information that we could regurgitate back in a Sunday school class, but that it would be the sweetest truth that our soul knows, and that it would be our regular experience to know your great love. So help us to be students of your love for us. And drink it in day after day so that we are filled up and can pour it out on others. Lord, just like Paul prayed, would you cause our love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is best and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to his glory and praise. Amen.